The following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. You know, what happened after I burned out, after 10 years of being a believer and with that mixture of law and grace, um, because it will burn you out. A little bit of law leavens the whole lump. And if you are not feeding on Christ alone, eventually, eventually you will burn out. You know, Jesus, I mean, uh, Paul said to the Corinthians, he goes, I fear for you lest you have been beguiled by Satan to move from the simplicity of Christ. And he references, he referenced Satan and Eve in that scripture. As Eve was beguiled by Satan to move from the simplicity of Christ. What does he say in there? He's saying that the tree of the knowledge of right and wrong. Which God said don't eat of. It's, it will bring death. Reveals your nakedness. Makes you be afraid of God and hide and shame. And all those things that come from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Living by just trying to live by right and wrong as opposed to living by Christ. See, the simplicity of Christ. To live is Christ. See, so Paul was saying to the Corinthians, I'm afraid that as Satan beguiled Eve and got her to move from the simplicity of Christ in, in, in symbolic, symbolic picture there in, in the garden, um, he was concerned about the Corinthians. And that, and that can happen to us too in terms of... Uh, getting that mixture of law and grace to where we burn out. And that's what happened to me. So after 10 years, I just burned out and felt like I just couldn't do it, couldn't pull it off. And so I put my Bible on the shelf. I'd been, I'd been teaching Bible studies and, you know, working hard for God, you know, and I just put the Bible on the shelf, said, I just can't, I don't want to hear another cassette tape. Back in those days, it was cassette tapes. <laughs> I don't want to hear another cassette tape. I don't want to read another Christian book. I am totally burned out. I apparently can't do this. And I just, I give up. So I put the Bible on the shelf. And what was cool is that what happened was, what happened was not what I was told was going to happen if I did that. Uh, God's going to leave you. God's not going to be around you anymore because you're not, you know, you're not part of the team anymore or whatever. And stop going to church, stop, you know, I just burned out. And what was cool is that his presence in me got stronger. And I said, this doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to be more of his presence when I'm not doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing to be a good Christian. And so it's hard to put into words what happened, but in a spiritual way, I became aware of his love for me regardless of what I was doing. And I remember I was like, uh, a sister gave me this tape of um, this song, um, and I forget the name, Mike Mullen maybe, he passed away, Rich Mullen, When God Ran, the, the song When God Ran, awesome song, and this sister gave me this tape, She's been pray- she had been praying for me, she knew I was going through a hard time, this is back in 1985, 86, and so she gave me this cassette tape to play in, in um it was the song written about the fa- the father running to the prodigal son, you know, and and the song is the, when God ran, a picture of God running. Awesome, awesome song. If you've never heard it, it's a powerful song. So you got to get baptized and hear this song. 
But it's a powerful, powerful song about the father running to the son. And Jesus said, this is like, the, this is like my father. This is my father. And, you know, a king doesn't have to run anywhere. A king. A king can say, go here and go there. And his servants do his bidding. The father running to the prodigal son is a picture of the awesome humility of God. He pulled up his robe so he could run fast and ran to his son and fell upon him and kissed him and wouldn't let him, wouldn't let him have his, make his speech. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate. So anyway, that song really touched me and it, it was a culmination of things that were happening in my life that made me realize that just how much God loved me and And then the Spirit whispered to me, study what the mystery of Christ is. That's where it all began for me. Study what the mystery of Christ is. Never heard that before in my life. Never heard it preached. So I started looking in the Scriptures, and sure enough, Paul talked about the mystery of Christ all over the place. So I said, what is this mystery of Christ? You know, and so... I went to the Christian bookstore and I pulled down all these commentaries and looked at these verses that Paul referred to as the mystery of Christ. And I was looking at the commentaries and God says, that's not it. 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 And I was going, what, what is it? It was like, that's not it. That's not it. And so then over time, I started looking at the Greek word mystery and it, and it means hidden truth is all it means. Hidden truth. Mystery is a hidden truth in the Greek. And then the Spirit said, listen to what's being preached today. Listen to what is being preached from the pulpits. What do you hear being preached from the pulpits? That is something that could not have been preached in the days of Moses. Do you hear anything being preached from the pulpits that could not have been preached in the day of Moses? And I heard repentance and judgment and obedience and law and all these things that Moses had. But I didn't hear the hidden truth that Paul says was not revealed to the sons of men until Christ came. So I was like, then I was hot on the trail. I mean, there was something stirring in me like, oh my God, there's something that should be proclaimed that Moses could not proclaim. And that's where it started for me. And it started, the scripture says, the spirit will lead you into all truth. It began to unravel. Everything began to unravel. And the big linchpin, the big linchpin that opened the floodgates was a revelation of first John one nine. And when the veil was taken off my eyes to see what that really means, first John one nine, and I saw that the believer was never supposed to be confessing their sins every day or every hour so they can stay cleansed and stay forgiven, so they can be in fellowship with God. When I saw that, boom. Huge, huge. In fact, I would, I would say that the 1 John 1-9 revelation 
Understanding what John really meant in that scripture is one of the keys to going further in understanding the new covenant of grace. And if you don't see that yet, stay right there, camp right there until you see it. Because that's key. And, and, and all 1 John 1, 9 is all about is John is simply writing and he's saying that if a person says he has no sin or he has not sinned, he describes that person. He describes him as a person who's a liar. I take, no, not, not liar, but he's made God a liar. He's made God a liar. Why? Because God says we're all sinners. He's made God a liar. He says, the description is he's a man who doesn't have the truth in him. The word is not in him. And he's deceived. Those four things. He describes a person who has called God a liar, who doesn't have the word in him, doesn't have the truth in him, and is deceived. Because, why? Because he says, I have no sin, I have not sinned. See? The context of John's letter is simply at the beginning of his letter, he's just laying a, just a basic foundational truth in his letter that the unbeliever must come in agreement, confession, agreement with God that he has sinned. Otherwise, he's deceived, he has not the word truth in him, he's making God a liar, etc., etc. But if that, if that unbeliever will confess his sins, if he will agree with God that he is a sinner, God is faithful and just to forgive him of his sin and cleanse him from all unrighteousness. Isn't that awesome? That's all that means. All that verse is talking about is the, the step of salvation or when a person first believes. How many times do you think God cleanses of all unrighteousness? See? Isn't that cool? He cleansed us from all unrighteousness the moment we believed because of the great mystery of your own death and resurrection through Christ. For you have passed through death and into life. You have passed through judgment. Jesus said when he went to the cross, he goes, I, as he was going to the cross, he says, now is the judgment of the world. That actually was the next thing that began to open up in me in, in this journey was God showed me Noah's flood and he showed me what Jesus said about the cross being the judgment of the world. That was another piece of the puzzle that God showed me that, see, I, I never heard a message preached on the cross being the judgment of the world. Never. Zero. Ask yourself, how many times have you heard a message preached that the cross of Christ, when Jesus died, that that was the judgment of the world? It's just not out there. And yet Jesus himself said, now, as he approached Jerusalem, as he approached the cross, now is the judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world, Satan, shall be cast out. He who condemns you shall be cast out. See? Never heard it preached. Because the legalistic thinking wants to keep judgment in the mix. Wants to keep judgment in the... Because the, the religious mind thinks that's what keeps people in, in check and so forth. But Jesus said, no... This is the judgment. Now, if a person, if a person doesn't believe, if, it doesn't, if a person does not receive Jesus and does not believe, yes, they will face the judgment for their sin. The scripture is clear about that. Jesus said, he who does not believe in me will die in their sin and face the judgment for their sin. For it is appointed unto man once to die and face the judgment. But the next verse is never read. So Christ also died once, bearing the sins of the world. See? So the appointment that you have with death and judgment, that I have with death and judgment, he took my appointment with death and judgment. 
So Jesus says now boldly, he who believes on me shall not come into judgment, but has already passed from death and into life. You see that? He took my appointment with death. It is true. It is appointed unto men. Every person has an appointment with God to die and face the judgment for their life. Every person. Jesus stepped in and took my appointment with death, my appointment with judgment. So if, I, so if my trust is in him, my faith is in him, I have already passed from death into life. I've already died. I've already gone through my death through him. And I've already gone through judgment through him because he was judged for me. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God condemns sin in the flesh in Christ. He condemns sin in the flesh in Christ that he might not have to condemn me if I would only believe. For God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting their sins against them anymore, if they would only believe. Be reconciled to God, Paul says, for he has already reconciled himself to you. Isn't that awesome? So, so I saw that Noah's, Noah's flood was a big picture of, of the judgment. The judgment of God, how... The whole world, before there was a Jew, before there was a Gentile, the whole world was judged. And they went through that flood in that ark, a picture of Christ. And they went through that judgment to another world. In fact, I forgot to mention this, but this, this is one of the pictures in the scripture of the parallel reality that we have in the kingdom. Because think about this, saints. The earth, here's the, the ark, the wooden boat. A picture of Christ after the flesh as a man. And Noah and his family are inside. They pass through judgment, which is a picture of the cross. They pass through judgment. And the same, the door, here's the door. The door, the one door that went into the ark was the same door that opened up into a new world. The, only through that door could they leave a sinful, evil, violent world and go through that same door, that portal, to another reality? And that other reality was on the same planet. You see the picture? God is painting an awesome picture of a parallel reality on earth if you go through a door. So they went through the door. And they came out through the same door into a a cleansed earth with a rainbow, a picture of the ascended Christ, no longer of the flesh, but of ascended, glorified Christ of no more judgment. You see it? That's a picture of the world you live in now. It's a whole picture of a new reality. Walk in the same earth. Noah walked on, on the same mountain that before he went through that door, before the judgment was full of evil people. Now he's in a different world, different reality. You see how that's awesome? That's a picture. That's what the flood is all about. The flood is God telling us, I am going to take you through a door, through judgment, and bring you to another reality where you can look up and know no more judgment. Rainbow. The rainbow. I will take my bow from my throne, God said. Remember Ezekiel had a vision of the glory of God? He saw the throne of God. Ezekiel saw the throne of God. And, it's, and Ezekiel tried to describe it. He goes, and it was a beautiful rainbow around his throne. 
That's what God said. He said, I'll take my bow that's from my throne, put it in the sky, so that in this other reality, we can always remember. Always remember. He, he did that so they would remember. So in this, when there was a storm and there was rain and, and the world was kicking your butt, and everybody's saying, the world is kicking your butt because you're bad and because God doesn't love you. You can look up and see a rainbow and hear God say, oh no, don't listen to your friends, Job. <laughs> you see? It's so cool. So that's a picture of the parallel reality we have in Christ. Right there for all to read. If you see it, if you unlock the key is Christ and his finished work. It unlocks the scripture. Remember what Jesus did in the last chapter of Luke? Here's a bunch of Jewish disciples who knew the scriptures. And yet Jesus in the last chapter of Luke says, and he opened their minds that they might understand the scriptures. And these Jewish followers who knew scriptures had their mind opened by the Christ. And what's the very next thing he said? And beginning at Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, he revealed that it's all about him. Tree of life. And those three division saints, he said, Jesus said, Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Those, if you go into a Hebrew bookstore, not Christian bookstore, if you go to a Hebrew bookstore and buy the scriptures, you won't find a New Testament in it, that's for sure. But you'll find a Hebrew book of the scriptures and in the contents, look at the contents of the Hebrew Bible. You'll see three divisions in the Hebrew Bible. The first is Torah, the writings of Moses, five books, first five books. Then it says prophets. These are all the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all the major prophets. Then it says the third division is Psalms. And under Psalms are everything else. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the minor prophets are all under the third division. So when Jesus was saying, beginning with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, he revealed himself in the scriptures. What he was saying was that every last book of the Old Testament, every single one, not just, not just uh, Moses' first five books, not just the prophets, not just the Psalms, but Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, everything, all of it, all of it was a revelation of him. So, and Job, all of it, a revelation of him. So, so that's a picture of that parallel reality when you see the flood and, and how they actually walked on the same earth, but now in a different, different reality because they had passed through judgment through the, through the boat or the ark, which is a picture of Christ. Another picture of a parallel reality is when Israel was brought out of Egypt. Think about this, saints. God had them put blood on the door. Again, God is talking about going through a door to another reality, another place. And they, were, they moved, God moved them from Egypt, picture of the world, through a door, and then the sea parted and made a way for them, the scripture says. A way. That's, the, that's a door. Another door. They went through the Red Sea. They went through a door. Judgment fell on the Egyptians, but they were able to go through. Another picture of going through a door to a different reality, but it gets better. The promised land was 
Then after their wanderings and their lack of faith and so forth, after 40 years, finally Joshua was able to bring them into what God intended in the first place, which was not just to bring them out, but to bring them in. Not just to get them out, but get them in. So here they are at the Jordan. Once again, Joshua, who, which means Jesus, the Jordan River stops, opens up. Actually, it's, it stopped flowing all the way back to the city called Adam, which is a picture of, you know, Adam. So his death goes back to Adam and stopped the, the whole issue of sin for mankind is what that's a picture of. So they could pass over into this promised land. Now think about this, saints. They're in this promised land. Now this promised land was awesome. But Israel today doesn't look anything like it did back then. It was luscious. They found grapes and green and it was beautiful. A land full of milk and honey. And so when they brought them into the promised land, they had giants in the land who tried to keep them from possessing or enjoying what God had given. He said, God, God says, I've already given it to you. Possess it. See, past tense, I've given it. It's what is. See, what is now. When he says, I've given it, it's it, it is. It's not something you're going to work to get. I've given it to you, he says. Now, every place you put the sole of your foot, it's yours to possess, to enjoy, but it's already yours. And so they went into this land where the houses were already built and the fields were already planted. A picture of rest, a picture of God's done it all in this land filled with milk and honey. But there were giants in the land. There's the parallel universe that even though we walk in this other reality in Christ, a land filled with milk and honey, which is Christ, there are giants in the land that want to keep you from enjoying what you have in Christ. That's the parallel reality. Again, another picture of it. So isn't this cool? This is not some this is not some straining of the scriptures. I mean, it's very clear when we see it. Jesus said, I am the door. Awesome. And when things really come down on us and we have a hard time in life and the world comes comes at us, just remember, saints, remember that. You can close your eyes and be aware that you are there. You're already there, but you can be aware that you are there. Even while the enemy's raging all around you. He is our refuge. We don't try to fight the enemy. We don't even try to fight the flesh. The scripture says, run to him, come under his wings. David said, I'll run to God. That's how I fight the enemy. I run to God. I don't bring railing accusations to Satan, as the scripture says, but you run to God. And when you simply say, Abba, Father, fight for me. Ooh. How often I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. I would fight for you. I would protect you. Come to me, all you are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. See, that's what you have within you right now. He did it. And it becomes more and more real when we actually go there often. C.S. Lewis saw this. Chronicles of Narnia. 
He put, he put it in a fable to try to communicate the unseen reality. But the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, they went through a door into another reality. He saw this. The wardrobe speaks of putting on Christ. Put on Christ and live in this other reality, in this other world. The reality is more fun even than the movie. (laughs) Because it's real. And the unseen reality in the kingdom is not just to be, it's not supposed to remain just unseen. For the kingdom of God is not in word only, but in power. Power. So the unseen reality breaks forth in our lives, not only changing our minds or renewing our minds, and not only changing our deeds, even because we find ourselves walking as he walked because of the fruit of the Spirit, but also power is released. See, power. The kingdom of God is not in word only, but in power. Jesus had his disciples healing the sick, and he said, Tell them that the kingdom of kingdom of heaven came close to them today. See, this other reality was breaking forth in the, in the world and the visible evidence of this unseen reality where people were getting healed. Physical healings took place. I mean, Peter had us, it, this, saints, this, stuff, this thing is substantive. It's not just doctrine. It's not just word only. It's substantive. It's presence. It's presence. Peter's shadow healed the sick. That's not doctrine. That's something in his body. Something in his body. Jesus felt virtue go out of his body and said, who touched me? It's substantive. It's presence. It's awesome. That's why we can lay hands on the sick in his name because it's not just a matter of doctrine. It's presence. Next time you pray for the sick, stay, linger there a little bit longer. Linger with your hands on them a little bit longer. It's radiation. It's, it's, it's like radiation. It's like presence. It's his life. Jesus felt it go out of his body when he, and heal somebody. It's presence. You're not of this world. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Presence, presence, presence. I heard a story once where the speaker was speaking at this conference and he was very intellectual in his approach to the gospel. And, and he got a question from the audience. And the, audience, the question was, where in your theology is experiencing God? Because I haven't heard anything about experiencing God in your theology. And the speaker said, mark that man, he's a new ager. See? The, in- the intelligentsia 
those who think themselves wise. Not many wise, not many noble. God has chosen the foolish to confound the wise. Jesus purposely went to Galilee to get the uneducated Galileans to follow him. He did not go to downtown Jerusalem and choose the students that were under the rabbis. He purposely chose uneducated Galileans. In fact, that's what really shocked the Jews. Because after Jesus had ascended and his followers were out proclaiming him, they said, these guys are uneducated Galileans. But they took note that they had been with Jesus. See, it's not, a, it's not a matter of the brain, it's the intellect or the mind. Not many, it's almost like Paul says, not many wise and noble get it. God hides himself from the wise and noble, but reveals himself into babes. The Spirit showed me just the other day something really cool. I've heard this and thought this before, but he made it fresh. And it has to do with seeing this unseen reality in him. Remember how Jesus said you must become as a child to enter the kingdom? He's saying here, and, and watch, watch children. And sometimes in the serious situations, they're playing with Nerf guns. Sometimes in the, where, the, where the adults are overwhelmed with the seriousness, seriousness of paying the bills or someone who's ill, the kids are wrestling with each other and laughing in the backyard, running carefree. They're not worried about where they're going to eat. They know dad and mom's going to feed them. I know I'm going to have something. I'm not worried about my next meal. I'm not worried about the house falling in. I got a nice bedroom. Never, never occurs to them that they may not have a house. No, of course I'm going to have a house. Of course I'm going to eat. The carefreeness of children. God loves that. It takes a childlike approach to life to enjoy what he's done. We think too much. We worry too much. He said, Jesus said, um, don't worry. Don't. He said, take no thought for tomorrow. And, then he, and then, he, then he goes to creation. I love this. Steve and I love this thing about how God reveals himself in creation. He goes to creation and he says, look at the birds. The birds don't sow. They don't reap. And their father feeds them every day. The flowers. Look at the flowers. You're worried about what you're going to wear? Look at those beautiful flowers. I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. You see? The scripture says in Job, it says, speak to the earth and it will teach thee. The invisible things of God are clearly seen and understood by the things that have been made. The one Bible that every human being reads is creation. Reveal Christ to the world out of creation. 
It's the one thing man cannot manipulate. It's the one thing that everybody sees and reads. You know that scripture says that the woman who was brought to her place of rest, the place prepared by God, by the two wings of the great eagle, it says that the dragon opened his mouth and a flood came out of his mouth to move her from her place of rest. A flood came out of his mouth, meaning words. But the scripture says, the earth opened up her mouth. Christ, the revelation of Christ in creation opened up and swallowed the flood. So the woman was not moved from her place. I tell you, there's a lot. There's a lot of riches to be dug up. I mean, look at, look at, look at how, I love, I love the way plants get food. We call it photosynthesis. Sounds really technical, photosynthesis. What it is, is this green thing called chlorophyll in the plants can take light and turn it to sugar. <laughs> Glucose. So the plants can just look at the sun and look at light and light becomes sugar, glucose in the plant, and gives the plant food. <laughs> God is painting a picture in everything that, was, that has been created about spiritual life and truth. So how do we get spiritual food? We behold Him in our inner man, the glory of God in the face of Christ, radiation, your DNA as a new creation has what's, what's, what's called in the natural chlorophyll. You have new DNA. You have the capacity as a new creation to, to uh, what's the word, to absorb. You have, see, there's no doing here. There's no work. You have the capacity as a new creation to absorb Inner light from God, the light of life, the new man has in its being the ability to transform that light into sugar, so to speak, glucose or energy, spiritual energy and power. Jesus said only one thing is needful, one thing. What do we have to do to do the works of God? This is the work of God that God's interested in. He said to the Pharisees, to believe on him whom God sent. And Mary chose the one thing that was needful. Martha was Martha, 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 busy, 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 trying to serve God. And Mary, what did she do? She sat, she sat at his feet beholding him and hearing him. One thing needful. I love the way Jesus said that. He said, there are only a few things needful, really, to live this life as a human being on earth. It's only a few things. Then he said, said, really, only one. (laughs) Isn't that cool? He said, there's there's only a few things necessary, really, if you get down to it, only one. If you can receive this, he goes, if you can receive this, only one. Why? Because he is your life. To live is 
Christ. And so as we rest in him, as we behold him, you know, that's a lost art. If you want to say it that way, that's a lost art in the body of Christ is beholding Christ in our inner man. Never hear that talk. When is the last time you heard a message on how to behold Christ in your inner man? We don't even believe Christ is in there. I mean, many of the church, people in the church really don't have a revelation that Christ is inside them. It's really more of a natural view of I believed, so I'm forgiven, but I'm on my own to kind of be a good person now. Do you see? Very carnal, very natural, very shallow. But as far as understanding that, oh my God, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Oh my God, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And Paul talked about beholding Christ in your inner man because that's where he is. He is in you. You are in him. So that's the pondering, the resting, the beholding, taking time away from the noise of this world. That's why Jesus would often go and take walks. He'd rise early in the morning before the crazy day would begin. What was he doing? You know what he was doing, I believe? He, Jesus, this is what God has shown me to do in my life. And I think this is exactly what the son did. The first thing you should do when you wake up in the morning, the first thing is let God love on you. Don't think of anything to do for God. Don't think of anything you need to do for anybody. The very first thought in the morning should be, you may just lay in your bed. The very first thought should be, let him love you. See, it's not that we first loved him, but he first loved us. You cannot give what you do not have. It's not selfish. It's spiritual. This is a spiritual truth. The son can do nothing of himself. The son was completely dependent on the father. And the very first thing the son remembered was the Father loves me and He shows me all things. So in the morning and during the day, allow yourself to be loved because you are beloved. You are beloved. This is my beloved Son and whom I am well pleased. And that's what God is saying to you and I in the Son. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Why are you pleased, Lord? Because you have believed. You have believed on my only son. Not because you're living a perfect life, but because you have believed. And, and enjoy that and rest in that. And let that, that love permeate. Okay, let's see. Oh, I want to mention this. Remember how Jesus said he is the the way, the truth, and the life? This is all in the context of him going to prepare a place for us that we may be where he is. And remember, Peter said, I want to go with you. I want to go. And then he says, no, you can't go now, but you'll go later. He'll go three days later. And 
So then Jesus said, I am the, oh yeah, then they said, we don't even know where you're going. How do we even know the way? And of course, he made it clear he was going to the Father. And so then he said, the way to the Father was through him. So he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by, by me. So what he's saying there, saints, is that, think about this. When he says, I am the way, he's saying, in other words, I am the door. I am the door. When he says, I am the truth, he's saying, I am the reality behind that door. I am what is real that you will see behind the door. If you come through me, you'll see a reality behind the door. I am the reality. I'm the truth. And then he says, I am the life. The life speaks of the source that sustains the new reality. You see? It's not up to you to sustain this new reality or to work it or make it happen. It's the life. Him, he is not only the door, he's the reality behind the door. He's not only the reality behind the door, he's the life source, the power that sustains this reality behind the door. <laughs> it's awesome. This is what he came to do. That we might be with him always and walk with him. And see, you're witnesses of this other reality. You basically, there's a new movie coming out called Tomorrow, Tomorrowland or Tomorrow World or something. It's coming out in May. But the trailer to that movie is so cool because it says, the movie, the trailer says something like this. I don't know if you've seen the trailer. If you want to Google it, it's either Tomorrowland or Tomorrow World but they've got a little movie trailer out. It's so fascinating because it's, it's this girl who is, is getting out of uh, jail and she's getting her things. The, the, the deputy is giving her things from the bag. You know, here, here's your wallet. Here's, you know, here's $32 in your, you had. You know, here's your, your whatever we took when we arrested you. Here it is. So she's getting out of jail. She's leaving the, the jail. And then he says, and, here's a, and he, he goes, here's a pen. And so she's gathering all her stuff to, to leave. And she sees this pen and she goes, this is, this is not mine. This is not my pen. And he goes, what? She goes, this is not. And she touched the pen. And the moment she touched it, she was in a different reality. And it scared her to death. And she dropped the pen because you know, when she touched the pen, she was in this field of wheat and beautiful blue skies. And she dropped the pen. And she said, oh my God. And so then the pen fell on the floor. And then she, so she reached down and then she just touched it. And immediately she was in the other realm and she saw this wheat and beautiful blue skies. And then, part of the trailer, this guy goes, there is a place that you can go where all things are possible. Would you like to go? Would you like to go there? Awesome, I love it. God is speaking through the movies, through books. If if the preachers don't preach it from the pulpit, the rocks will cry out. In the most unbelievable ways God is speaking his truth in ways and the and the people youth the youth are hearing it and they're going oh my gosh God is speaking it's so cool and I don't even know what that movie is about at some point the parable falls apart yeah but I always I always retranslate all movies anyway I just I just 
I see Jesus in all these movies, you know, I see, oh, that's a picture of Christ. Yeah. So it doesn't bother me. I just, just retranslate it, just reconfigure it. Just like the other day, Cindy and I went, my wife Cindy and I went to see um, the uh, Insurgent, Divergent. We saw Divergent and then Insurgent. And um, so we were all saying, we're Divergents, man. <laughs> we are Divergents. We're from a different world, man. We do not conform to this world. We're, di- we're Divergents. We have special DNA in us. You know, we're special DNA. We don't fit the mold. We're Divergents. You're a divergent. And you're part of an insurgency by just your mere words. Not fighting. Jesus said, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. If, it, if my kingdom was of this realm, my servants would fight that I would not be delivered to you, Peter. I mean, Pilate. I would not be delivered to you, Pilate. My servants would fight. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a different world. So my servants are here to witness to this world of another world. You see it? Which is why you can pay taxes and give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. It's not our world. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom and be shrewd as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. For you are as lambs among wolves in this world. I send you forth as lambs among wolves, Jesus said. Be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. God will lead us in wisdom, when to speak, when not to speak, when to work, when to not work, when to move, when not to move, whatever it is. And the enemy will not be able to to know what you're doing because you're following the light within. Within. I love that verse when, when Lazarus had died and he said, that Jesus said, okay, I'm, it's time for us to go to see Lazarus. Because at first Jesus said he was, he was asleep. And the disciples thought, well, if he's sleeping, he's, he's good. Why do we have to go? I mean, they, they want to kill us in Jerusalem. And Jesus said plainly, Lazarus is dead. You know, so much for all this, don't be, look, saints, don't be afraid of confessing wrong words and things like that. That's, that's, that's not... Don't worry about that. Jesus was speaking spiritually when he said he was asleep. But then they couldn't understand that. So he just said plainly, he's dead. Was that a bad confession? <laughs> it's just reality. There's a, there's a spiritual reality and there's a natural reality. You can say both. You can speak of both. You can speak to both. You're, you're, you're creatures of two realms. You're free. You're free. You're a son of the most high, daughter of the most high. So anyway, so he says, Lazarus is dead. They went, oh, well then, what do we do? We can't do anything about that. So this is, what, this is so cool. If you go back and look at the passage there, Jesus said this. I love this. He said, the people of this world, it'd be a cool study one time to look at all the scriptures that talk when Jesus or Paul talks about this world and his world. Like when Paul said, how do you live? as someone who's still living in this world, touch not, taste not, as if you're still in this world. No, you're not. You've died. and You're not in this world. Awesome. Awesome stuff that we just like, what the heck? <laughs> what does he mean by that? But when you see the parallel reality, it's like, of course, of course, 
See? The train is on the track. The train is not on the, on the dirt, trying to go somewhere. The train is on the track. You're thinking like God thinks. It's on a track. God's track. You're thinking like he thinks about an invisible parallel reality in Christ, and all begins to make sense. So Jesus said about Lazarus, he said, the people of this world, when it is daylight, they walk because they can see and they don't, they don't stumble. But when it's nighttime, they, they don't walk because they'll stumble in the dark because the light of this world is gone for night, for nighttime. And then he said, but if you had a light from another world within you, that light would tell you when to walk and not to walk. So let's go see Lazarus. Isn't that awesome? You have the light of another world. And you're not dependent on sunrise, sunset, or anything of the natural. You are led by another within. And where the natural man might say, this is how you should do this, 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 this. You may say by the Spirit in you, no, God is saying do this. Because I'm, I'm walking by the light of another world. This is not just for Jesus. Jesus did this so that we could have the same reality in him as his sons and daughters, to have light within for guidance from another world. Not dependent on this world's light or this world's wisdom or this world's arguments or opinions, but a light from another world. It's awesome. You know, one of the marks of the new covenant, the scripture says that in this new covenant, they will no longer say, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord. See, under the old covenant, it was part of the law to say, teach the children when they rise in the morning, teach them at noon, teach them at the, in the evening, teach them the commandments of God, teach them who God is, teach them, teach them, teach them. God says in this new covenant, they will no longer say, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord, which is what they did under the old covenant. For they all shall know me from the least to the greatest. And once again, like we said before, because I will be merciful to all their iniquities. So the removal of sin opens the door for God to teach every man. The scripture says the mark of the new covenant is that the Father himself would teach us. That the Lord himself would teach us directly. The head would teach the members of the body. Awesome. And it's the childlike that receives that and rejoices in that. Don't let the, the intellect the intellect keep you from the simplicity of God wanting to teach you directly in the spirit. And the life of community in the body is there so that if someone thinks they're hearing God about something and the rest of the body says, ah, that, that's not really the Lord, I don't think. Then there's that humility to submit ourselves one to another so that you don't have to worry about people getting weird. If there's, a, if there's community, if there's love, if Christ is the focus God's a genius. This thing is a genius. Everybody is just as righteous as the next one. There's no comparing with each other. He who compares himself with another is not wise, Paul said. Everybody's just as righteous. Everybody's just as holy. Everybody is just as in union with Christ. He, our head, we, the many members. It's genius. It's absolute genius. Because then we can we come together with one common denominator, Christ. Jesus is my life. 
And we come to encourage each other in the faith. And we help each other. We listen to him. And as he speaks through us, just like today, your own spirit says, yes, yes. Because the same spirit is in you. Isn't that cool? It's genius. God's way is simple but profound. So he is the door, the way, he is the truth, the reality, and he's the life, he's the source. Let's talk a little bit about, just real briefly about what really is everlasting righteousness and what does it mean to be spiritually circumcised? Very important to get this because if if you don't see spiritual circumcision, it's very hard to grasp the new creation because you'll see yourself after the flesh. You'll see, you'll look at what, what be, your eyes will be more on the seen than the unseen. Paul says, do not look on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. That which is seen is temporary, but that which is unseen is eternal. It's very important. In fact, I would say this, I, I put this on my blog, that the three things you need to really, ha- I think you really need to have when you approach the scripture is number one, a, an understanding that all of scripture is a revelation of Jesus. We just, we mentioned that earlier. So you've got to go to the scripture with the, with the understanding that it's all a revelation of him. Because it's everything, a revelation of him does one thing. It builds your faith. See, the goal of, of the scripture is to re- reveal Jesus that your faith might be strong in him. So reading the scriptures is now a refreshing thing and not a, dr- a drudgery because I'm, I'm, I want to see him. The more you see him, that's part of beholding him. And faith goes from faith to faith, glory to glory, manifest, manifested as a result of greater faith, growing in revelation. Faith comes by hearing by the word of Christ. So that, you know, so the first thing is see that all the scripture is a revelation of Jesus. The second thing is to realize that the scriptures contain two, two major covenants. There's some minor covenants that speak about the major covenants, but there are two covenants in this Bible. There are two trees, if you want to say it that way. There are two trees in this, in this scripture. You can eat of the tree of the good, the knowledge of good, knowledge, knowledge of good and evil, or you can eat of the tree of life. Notice it's not the knowledge of life. It's the tree of life. See? When you have a revelation of Jesus and not just doctrine, you're eating of life. If you're just looking for doctrine, you may be eating the tree of the knowledge of life, which is not quite what you want. In other words, I, I always feel the Spirit tell me, remember that your message is not a message of grace. See, be, be aware that we're not preaching grace. Grace is a concept. You can't have a relationship with a concept. We preach Him. We preach Jesus. Be strong, my son, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. See? So be aware that you don't slip in your journey of this revelation of God's grace. Be aware you don't slip into preaching more a concept than a person. Paul said, God separated me from my mother's womb that I might preach grace. No, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. It's him, it's him, it's him, it's him, it's him. And in him is life and grace and peace and all those things. 
For all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Him. So be aware that you don't get off track and, and focus on grace because eventually it'll be empty. Because grace only has power in Him. It's awesome. Okay, so what were we saying? Oh yeah, the third thing. Okay, so the three, three, number three. Okay, so the second thing is, no, there's two covenants. So you have to rightly divide the word of truth, is what I'm saying. You have to rightly divide the scriptures so that some scriptures... Okay, real quick example. Psalm 51 says, Oh God, um, blot out my sins. Um, forgive me my transgressions. Create in me a new heart. You know, cause me to walk in your ways. Most churches teach Psalm 51 as that, like a 1 John 1, 9 thing. Because they don't see what that's saying. They, and they're, they're actually putting someone pre-cross, pre-cross with Psalm 51. What David was yearning for prophetically is what you have now in Christ. He was prophetically yearning for not, you, you, you take no pleasure in the blood of bulls and goats. God, wipe out everything. Blot out all my transgressions. Create in me a new heart, a new spirit. Do it, God. He did. Now, he's done that. He has removed all sin. He has raised up a new creation. He has done exactly what David was prophetically yearning for. And now you as a new creation go back to David and, and sit in that chair and talk like he talked? No. David would say, what are you doing? I prophetically yearn for what you have. Okay, so that's rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, Psalm 51, see it fulfilled in Jesus and see that reality. Okay, third thing. Third really important thing when you're reading the scriptures, I believe, is that to think like God thinks, we must focus on the unseen reality. And focus is not the right word, but there's, I'm trying to communicate that it's very important that you get on the track, put the train on the track of thinking about an invisible reality. The apostle taught a lot about don't look at that which is seen, but that which is unseen. It's a, it's a switch. Like Jim was saying, there's like a switch in the brain. You've got to move from the natural way of seeing things with your eyes and say, God, open my spiritual eyes to see unseen realities. Then, when we read the scriptures about a new heart, we can readily receive it because it's an invisible reality, even though we don't act like we have a new heart sometimes because the flesh wars against the spirit. You see what I'm saying? It's very important to have this mindset that the unseen, I've got to live my life with my eyes toward heaven, toward the heavens. I cannot let what I see with my natural eyes um, control me. And in reading the scriptures... We will not get the truth that is hidden there if we think it is just talking about natural things that we see. 
I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm communicating that well enough, but, but if, you look, if you go to my blog, I, there's a, a long thing I write about the unseen reality and how, to, how that's important to have this mindset that we are looking at the unseen and not just the seen. So those three things, those are three things. If you have that approach to the scriptures, um, it will, you'll go a long way in really getting what is there for, you, for us to receive from the scriptures. Okay, where, where were we? Oh yeah, just real quick, everlasting righteousness and spiritual circumcision. I'm going to go real fast because I know we're running out of a little bit of time here, but um, Galatians says that Faith was not revealed. Paul, Paul writes to Galatians and he says, faith was not revealed until Christ came. And I read that, you know, I read that years ago and I thought, well, that's not really true. I mean, faith was, Israel knew about how to trust God for provision, uh, have faith in God for going into battle. Um, I mean, the scripture's full of, you know, the, the prophets moving by faith. And what, what's Paul, what is Paul saying here? What he's saying here is that it's not that faith itself was not revealed until Christ came, but in the context of the Galatian letter, what he's saying there is that until Christ came, it was never, ever, ever seen or thought of that you could have righteousness by faith. Just didn't compute. It was never. See, righteousness for the Jew, righteousness for the Jew was always, always a function of obedience or doing. There was nothing. See, and the reason why it could not be revealed till Christ came is because there was nothing or no one to believe for righteousness. It was a foreign concept. Even though it was hidden, Abraham believed God and God counted it as righteousness. Paul picks up on that in Romans. Look what Abraham found. Look what Abraham found. It was hidden. God was going to bring righteousness by faith. Think about this now, saints. The Jewish mind, all, when you talk about righteousness, and I know the definition for righteousness usually is right standing with God. That's a good definition. But I prefer to say another word that t- encapsulates it better, I think, and that's the word perfection. Perfection. See, the Jew saw perfection as a function of obedience to commandments. And some thought they could pull it off. Most realized they couldn't. And of course, that's why he had the sacrifices of the temple to cover the blood, cover the sins of the people that were not able to walk in perfection. But what has come to us in Christ is the perfection. God, the law which could make nothing perfect, a better hope did. See, God gave us his own perfection. God became sin for us. Jesus became sin for us that we might become the perfection of God. You see how that sounds different? See, the Spirit sometimes will give you words. Paul says, The Spirit will match words with spiritual thoughts to communicate to your generation, to your people, in a way. If you're just regurgitating old messages, old sermons, old books, or whatever, don't do that. Let the Spirit give you new words to speak the truth. It will penetrate. It will get through to the people, whereas they've heard, I've always heard right standing with God. Yeah, right standing with God. Yeah, right. How about perfection? Oh, 
See? Suddenly it's like, ooh, that's pretty cool. I, God sees me as perfect. Yes, Paul says, it's our aim to present everybody perfect in Christ Jesus, if they would just believe. You see? So, Paul is saying to the Galatians that faith for perfection or righteousness was not revealed until Christ came because only he could take the sins of the world and, and give the gift of righteousness or the gift of perfection. Now, what about this thing about spiritual circumcision? Colossians says that an awesome, awesome miracle took place when you were born of the Spirit. Colossians says the Spirit, when you believed in your heart, and by the way, the Spirit only comes after you believe. Be aware of wrong teaching out there that says God sovereignly chooses certain people, regenerates those people, and only after they are regenerated do they have faith to believe. It's called Calvinism, Reformed theology. Not true. Scripture is very clear. Paul says, after you believed, you received the Spirit. It's for everybody, not just for a select few. Anybody can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Anybody. He tasted death for all men. No limited atonement in that, in that cross. He tasted death for all men. John says he died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. See? So just don't, let, don't get stuck into that. The enemy, when you are starting to see grace, there are several little snares the enemy has waiting for you. He wants to get you off into these little snares to minimize your, your influence. Be aware of that. Be wise as a serpent. So anyway, what happened is that when the Spirit came to you, when you were born of the Spirit, a man believes in his heart unto righteousness. Confession is made unto salvation because we believe that we speak. It just shows true faith because you believe. If you really believe, you'll speak. When the Spirit comes in, because you believed, God gives you the Spirit of His Son. Your, the Spirit of God touches your human spirit. God can do that because you believed. He considers you as having gone through judgment for all sin and basically killed, dead, crucified with Christ. So God then comes and gives you His Spirit. The Spirit touches your human spirit. Scripture says, He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. The human spirit and the Spirit of God, when they touch, they're one spirit. The miracle that happened, Colossians says, is that when the Spirit of God touched your human spirit, when you first believed, people have different experiences. Some cry. Some feel a heavy load lifted off their shoulders. Some weep. Some just collapse in joy. All kind of different emotional experiences when this happens. And sometimes it's not anything that demonstrative. Sometimes it's just a peace. See? Everybody's different. So when the Spirit of God comes because you have believed on His Son, Colossians says, the hand of God circumcised you and cut away the inner man from the outer man. Picture it this way. The Spirit of God came into your human spirit, joined the human spirit, and as a spring, springing up. See, Jesus said to the woman of the well, if you knew who I was, the water that I'm giving you now, what you're tasting now, if you believe on who I am, my words are like water to you, like cold water. 
But if you'll believe me, the water you're tasting will become in you a spring springing up. You see, when you talk to people, people about Jesus, it's like giving them a cup of cold water. But they still don't have the spring. But if they will believe what you're telling them, the very water you're giving them will become in them, become in them a spring springing up into eternal life. Now, what, what happens? It touches our human spirit. And the Spirit of God, this is how God showed me. The Spirit of God joined the human spirit, then comes up and envelops the inner man. The, the Spirit of life cuts away the inner man from the outer man, from the body. That's why your sins are far away from you as the east is from the west. Because the, God quarantined the power of sin in the mortal body. This is clear apostolic teaching that is not taught almost anywhere. Know how the apostles talked about sin in my mortal body? Remember all the verses about my mortal body? Sin in my mortal body? The flesh? James says, what causes men to war? Is it not sin? Warring against the soul? And, it, and, and saints, the inner man, this is so awesome. We, we are still infected in our bodies, in our brains, in our bodies, in our mortal bodies. We are still infected with the power of sin. The good news, awesome news, is that you're no longer in your flesh, but in the spirit. You're not in your body. I mean, you're in your body, but you're not in the flesh. Does that make sense? You're not, you're not in the race of Adam anymore. You are from the last Adam who is the Lord above. You have been raised with the last Adam, a new race, a royal priesthood. But the power of sin still is in the mortal body. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. This body will not inherit, but the real you will. And when you put on your new body, it will actually be a a body that will be birthed from the new man. It will actually come from within you. Actually, in seed form, your new body is in you now. In seed form, your new body is in you because of the new creation. But it cannot flower, it cannot open up until you leave this body. And when you leave this body, then that which is already that immortality might match immortality, Paul says. Immortal must match immortal. You are now immortal. You will never die. A new creation. But you're not going to have this body. Paul says this body is dust. It is of this creation. It cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But the new creation already has in seed form the new body that, that will take form after you leave this body. And saints, he, did, he not only cut away your spirit only. The inner man is soul and spirit. A lot of people teach that you know, we're battling with our soul. Watchman Nee brought a lot of stuff that was damaging to the body of Christ. He, got, he had a lot of good stuff, but he basically had man fighting between soul and spirit. No, we're not fighting between soul and spirit. Paul never, never, ever, ever, ever taught that. If you do a search, research all the places where the word soul is used in the New Testament, it's not even used that often. But no place is it taught that the soul fights against the spirit. Paul talked about an inner man, an invisible inner man, soul and spirit. Soul and spirit are distinguishable, but they are inseparable. 
Think about it that way. Soul and spirit are distinguishable, but they are inseparable. That's why the scripture says we, buy, we, fat, we battle with the flesh. We don't battle with the soul. It's the flesh. That's why James says, what, what, what's the battle that rages among men? Is it not the sin in our members warring against what, John, what James? Uh, warring against our soul. You see? When God circumcised, Colossians says, when he circumcised us, it said the hand of God cut away the body of the flesh. Where God cut is what you want to pay attention to. Where did he cut? He did not cut between spirit and soul. He cut between body, flesh, and invisible spirit and soul. You see that? That's why the scripture says the the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing beyond the bone, beyond joints and marrow, dividing soul and spirit. We've read that wrong. You know what he's saying there? He's saying like, the see, the body, the writer is saying the body is, is composed of marrow and joints. Marrow being the source of life, the blood. Joints being movement, action, soul. Picture of the soul. So the marrow in the body is a picture of the spirit, source of life. The joints is a picture of the soul. What the writer in Hebrews is saying is that the word of the gospel, the word of grace is so powerful than any sharper than any two-edged sword in a battlefield. For a, a typical sword, the, the deepest it can go into a human body is through the organs, through the skin, through the organs, into the, into the joints, into the bone, all the way to the marrow. That's the center of the human being really is the marrow, the source of life where blood is made in the body. And that's the, the, that's the father's in a sword, a natural sword can go into a body body is to the marrow. But this sword is so powerful, it cuts beyond the physical. It cuts beyond the physical and cuts the invisible soul and spirit away from the physical. That's what he's saying. Soul and spirit divided from bones, from marrow and joints. The power of the gospel can literally transform you and circumcise your body and really... And literally release you, the inner you, the inner man from the outer man. Isn't that awesome? That's why people read that verse and they they don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to do with that verse. And they say, well, see, this the sword divides soul and spirit. No. What about the joints? What about the the marrow? Read the whole verse. See, he's saying, look, the word of the gospel, chapter 4 Hebrews in, in context is talking about the word of rest, the word of rest. The word of rest. The word of rest is a sharp sword. See, it's not, it's not like we think. It's not the word of judgment. It's the word of rest that reveals the heart, the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's the word of rest that reveals the thoughts and intents of the heart. The proud, the word of rest reveals the pride of, of man who, doesn't, who says, I, no, 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 I, I got to do something. No, I can't, I can't be that easy. See, the word of rest is a sharp sword. It cuts through, sharper than any sword on a battlefield, beyond the body, beyond the joints of that skeleton, beyond even the marrow, into the invisible reality of soul and spirit, revealing the heart and intents of that person when they hear the word of grace grace and rest. It's awesome. So that when you preach the rest of Christ, it's a sword that goes right to the beat of soul. And if that person believes, he's literally circumcised away from his body and created new 
an inner man. Paul always talked about an inner man and outer man. Inner man, outer man. Inner man, outer man. He never talked about soul and spirit being at odds with each other. He said flesh and spirit are at odds, but not soul and spirit. Scripture is so clear. Jesus himself said, come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, and you'll, you'll find rest for your souls. Peter said, believe the gospel that your souls might be purified. See, don't let wrong teaching cloud this simplicity of God, inner man, outer man, visible, invisible. You see how invisible is so important? Visible, invisible. Soul and spirit are both invisible. That's the real you, soul and spirit. You know what this means? It means you're really new. You're really new. And the only reason you and I have thoughts that are the old thoughts is because you're still in these bodies with this brain. And we still think and have patterns and things and habits because of this old body. Because the power of sin still is in the mortal body. And the power of sin is stimulated by law. Paul said the power of sin in your body is stimulated by law. Why? Because the law is not of faith. Faith stimulates the river. Simple faith stimulates life. Law or trying to do in order to be stimulates the flesh because it's not a faith. You know, and I probably need to take a little break, but the sin in the Garden of Eden was not that they were trying to be like God. Most teachers, preachers teach that, that the big sin was they were trying to be like God. That is not the sin in the Garden of Eden. God wanted them to be like Him, He made them in His image. He wanted, David said, I will rejoice when I awake in thy likeness. God wants us to be like him. In fact, the new creation is created in his image. So what was the sin in the Garden of Eden? Satan basically tried to, or did, trick Adam and Eve into believing that you can be like God without God. You don't need him. If you knew what he knew, if you eat of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you could be like God. You don't need him. You could be like him without having him. That was the lie. Do you know what the, the mystery of iniquity is? The mystery of iniquity that is in your body right now still is that you can live without God. That's the mystery of iniquity. The mystery of iniquity is that you can do do something without God. Jesus came with just the opposite mindset. He said, the son can do nothing of himself. I live by my father. My father is my life. The works that I do are not my works, but the works of my father who dwells within me. The words that I speak are not my words, but the words of my father who dwells within me. He came with the heavenly mindset that without God, you can do nothing. Satan's lie to mankind, and you see it rampant throughout the world, beginning with the Tower of Babel. Let us make a tower for ourselves and reach into the heavens and make a name for ourselves. Babylon. The spirit of Babylon is the mystery of iniquity at work. 
You see in the book of Revelation, two cities rising as we come to a close in this, in this age. The city of Babylon and the city of the New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem is what you are. You are the population of the New Jerusalem. You are actually the citizens of the New Jerusalem. Rising, boasting in Christ. Boasting that apart from Him we can do nothing. He is our all in all. Where Babylon rises, we don't need God. We can do all things. Man is brilliant. He's a genius. We're going to study how to beat death. You saw that news report? How the, tech, the high-tech people think we're going to beat death. We can do anything. Man is a brilliant creature. We are building a tower to the heavens to make a name for ourselves. There are the two cities. And that iniquity is in your body. So be aware that the mystery of iniquity is still in your physical body, in in your members. And every time it rises its head, in essence, it's saying, give me the law. I can keep it. (laughs) Give me something to do. I'll do it. Paul said, the law came and sin deceived me. What's the deception? Sin deceived me. Sin deceived him in telling him he could do it. Without God. That's the deception from the, from the garden. You can do this without God. So the law comes, and a person who tries to keep the law for righteousness basically, basically has bought into the deception of sin, which is the power and the mystery of iniquity within your body that says you don't need God. You see it? But when, you, when the law comes, and you say, no, I'm not buying that. I can do this. No, my righteousness is all of Christ. The scripture says that the Jews sought righteousness by the law and did not find it. The Gentiles, the Gentiles who were not even looking for righteousness, found it by faith. Awesome. Daniel says that when Messiah comes, and saints, this is an awesome, awesome prophecy. Daniel chapter 9, and I'm going to start wrapping it up. Daniel chapter 9 talks about 9, chapter 9, verse 25. Talks about how when Messiah comes, he would make an end of sin. He would finish the transgression. He would bring, yeah, but then before that, he would reconcile iniquity. No, he would... I forget the exact wording, but, but it's something about iniquity. He names sin, transgression, and iniquity. Steve can look it up. There it is. Yep. Sin. There it is. Atonement for iniquity. Yes, yes, yes. Not place. In the, that's right. The word place is not in the Hebrew. The most holy, which is Christ himself. So what he say that the Messiah, when the Messiah came, he would, make an, he, would, he would finish the transgression. How do you finish the transgression? Where there is no law, there's no transgression. So he would finish the transgression by removing the law. He would make an end of sin 
Because the very mystery of iniquity in the DNA of, of, of the people of Adam would be judged and terminated. An end of sin. And a new creation would arise with no sin. For he who has the seed of God in him sins not. You know the new man cannot sin? Every time we do sin, it's because we gave into the flesh. It's not that we don't sin. We do sin as believers. But it's not counted against us because it's not under law. And it's not the real you doing it in the first place. It's awesome. Okay, and then also he made atonement for iniquity. The very essence of, of that rebellion that started in heaven. He made atonement for that iniquity that was passed on to human beings through the lie and deception of, in the garden. And then it says he brought in, those are the three things he took care of. Then he brought in everlasting righteousness. This this passage right here is, is the one that caused my brother Robert to get the revelation. This verse right here, when he saw the phrase everlasting righteousness, it clicked. He saw, wow, everlasting righteousness. The Messiah has brought everlasting righteousness. Walt is just as righteous now as he's going to be in heaven. And he's just as righteous now as he will be 10 years from now. Everlasting righteousness. Do you realize that you cannot be, and again, I love that word perfection. Righteousness, perfection. Do you realize you cannot be any more righteous or any more perfect than you are right now? If you're not righteous right now, if you're not perfect right now, when are you going to get at it? Because when you die... There is no provision in the scripture that says that God's going to hurry and finish you before you enter into his blazing glory. No, the scripture says absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How can that be? And I'll tell you this, saints, if your Christianity doesn't have a how can this be? You're not seeing it. I mean, that's what they said when this thing broke on the earth. They said, how can this be? Mary said, how can these things be? Nicodemus, how can these things be? Pharisees saw unbelievable things happen and words spoken like your sins are forgiven. And they go, how can this be? How can these things be? So, oh man, so good. Everlasting righteousness. Everlasting righteousness. Fixed reality. And saints, remember that you're always in the spirit. Always. We have, we've had teaching in the past that says, you know, when you're, when you're obedient to God and you're doing all the right things and you're in the spirit, but when you're not obedient to God and you're doing something wrong or in fleshly, then you're, you're in the flesh, you're not in the spirit. That's not true. Scripture doesn't teach that. You are always in the spirit, always in Christ. We do walk after the flesh at times. And by that, we learn that this is not Christ-like because we've taken up the mantle of I can do something without God. The law stimulates sin. But when we lay that law down and lay that our efforts to try to be what we already are, then we find a flow, we find a river, and we find fruit. I was talking to Jim on the way over here, and we, we were talking about um, one of the questions I think somebody, somebody sent in was, how do you balance resting in the grace of God and, and obedience to 
God and the commandments that Paul seemed to say, you know, do this and do this and whatever. How do you balance those things? I just want to say this, saints, that anytime you're thinking in terms of balance, you're missing something. Anytime you're thinking about balance, there is no balance in this. You don't balance life and death. You don't balance... Yeah, you don't balance law and grace. Paul says you're not under law, but under grace. Paul says you were dead, now you're alive. There's no balance. And let me just say this briefly. that It's like telling an orange tree. You need to be balanced and bear oranges. Think about that. The orange tree would say, balanced? That's all I know. That's who I am. That's what I do. See? So just remember that the word balance is not a good way of thinking of things. Now, I understand the, I understand the question. I understand that there are these scriptures that Paul writes about behavior. A lot about behavior. So what's the deal with that? Paul is simply fleshing out, so to speak, what the invisible should look like. In other words, he says, put off the deeds of the old man. Then he names a few of them. Lying, stealing, cheating. Notice he always talks about behavior with respect to our relative to the new creation. So he says, put off the deeds of the old man who is dead. See that first. And put on the deeds of the new man because that's who you are. See? So yeah, you can talk about behavior all the time and all, all the day and that's nothing wrong with that. But if you don't see that this is not a balance but a manifestation of what is. See, that's the key. It's a manifestation of what is. So I can go to my brother and say, brother, you got to stop lying, man. Don't you know who you are? See? But you're not telling him to stop lying so God will love him. Stop lying so he'll be righteous. Stop lying so he can keep his salvation. You're saying, stop lying, brother. He who is, like Paul said, he who has lied, lie, lie no more. That's not us anymore. That's not you. See? So Paul was a wise master builder. He knew how to say things without putting people back under law. It's very important when you understand grace how to say things that you don't put people back under law by the way you say them. That's why he was very careful to say, put off the deeds of the old man who is dead, put on the deeds of the new man because that's who you really are. And then you can talk about behavior all, all day. And all you're doing is talking about the fruit of the Spirit as opposed to the works of the flesh. But you're not talking about obedience in order to be righteous or obedience in order to make God happy or obedience to, um, to get closer to God. None of those things. Because now you're seeing clearly the issue that I'm a new creation. I, I need to allow that life in me to manifest so I can do as I am. For God is at work in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Things that are pleasing to him, his life, what he likes. God is at work in me both to will it and to do it. In the first part of that verse, it says, work out, yeah, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That has been so mistaught. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The work out is cool. That's, that basically what that's saying is that you're not working for it. Let it work out of you from inside out. Jesus, Jesus said this. He said, wash the inside of the cup and the outside will become clean. You ever taken a coffee cup in the sink and cleaned the inside of the cup first 
Guess what happens? Automatically, the outside gets clean. That's what Jesus was saying. He said, look, focus on the inside. Get the inside clean, and the outside will automatically clean itself. Jesus said this. He said, make the tree good. Just make the tree good, and it'll bear good fruit. Pharisees goes, what are you talking about? How can I make the tree good? He goes, I know. That's the point. (laughs) You You can't do it, but I can. I can make the tree good. I can make the tree good. I can make a new creation. And you can't, Pharisee. And so while you're focused on the, the fruit of this bad tree and trying to trim the branches and trying to make the tree look good, it's all rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. You got to make the tree good. So what was I just saying about? Well, oh, yeah, yeah, working out. So fear and trembling... The Greek word, fear and trembling, is the same Greek word Paul uses in the Corinthian letter when he says, I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling to preach the gospel, not trusting in my wisdom or my ability to speak, but in the power of God and the Spirit of God, that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, weakness, fear, and trembling, in the Greek, the Greek word fear and trembling is actually means with no confidence in myself with no confidence in the flesh, with no confidence in the flesh. So now go back and look at that Greek word in Philippians, work out your salvation, work out this awesome salvation, which you already have, let it manifest out with no confidence in yourself or no confidence in you to pull it off, for it is God, not you, who is at work in you to will it and to do it. See it? That's what that means. Yes, thank God. The poor in spirit will rejoice. The proud will go away mad because they want to have something to brag about. They want to be able to pat themselves on the back and say, no, I have paid my dues. No, it's not like that. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain shall be made low because of Messiah shall bring glad news to the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the invisible reality of another world, prepared by the Father that you might enjoy. Now in the Spirit, and when He comes again, face to face, when that which is unseen shall be seen, when the stars fall, and we see His glory in the eastern sky, and every eye shall see Him. Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church. Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.